I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We've already heard a portion of this read earlier in the service. I invite you to turn there. As you do, we, um, we are continuing our Advent uh, uh, series uh, this, this week and continuing to work our way through the, the book of Luke, a familiar passage for us, passage uh, about how God turns things upside down, turns us on our heads, if you will. So I won't invite you to stand on your heads, but I will invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, recognizing the power, the truth, its ability to transform us. I'll read it aloud, and you all read along with me. Luke chapter 2, actually verses 1 through 20 is what we'll read. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, and the time came for her to give birth, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. An angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the great multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. You may be seated and let's pray again. Oh, Father, we do thank you for these Words uh, for many of us uh, growing up, perhaps with the involvement in church or growing up just in our culture, familiar verses to us. We ask, we plead with you to give us fresh eyes to look upon them. And we ask even, Lord, that you would show us the upside down nature of your kingdom. We might stand on our heads to worship you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I was invited, we were invited, I should say, to participate in a birthday party of one of the families in our church here that was held at a 
gymnastics place a couple of weeks ago. I took our two-year-old boy. He was pretty tentative at first about the whole idea of getting out on the mats and doing the tumbling and so forth. But before you know it, he was out there, and I had forgotten how much fun kids have just flipping around, just doing somersaults, and especially some of them, their favorite was simply standing on their heads. Well, the Peters family on the home front, we don't do a whole lot of organized gymnastics, you wouldn't call it, but we do like to do some wrestling, and the biggest one's getting a little bit big for this, but I can still pick up all of them, one at a time, and turn them upside down, holding them by their feet. Mama especially loves it right after dinner. It's always a good activity. But they love to be turned upside down because it's a little bit scary, for one, and it also lets you see the world in a whole different way than you normally do. Well, that's a simple picture, of course, but as we look at this passage today, these verses that we have just read, we should be reminded that a central reality of the Christian faith, of the message that many of us have come to embrace for salvation, is this idea of the incarnation that the Son of God comes into the world takes on, is fully God, is fully man, and that that means transformation, that means power, that means life, that means the gospel of grace for us. It's a pretty normal thing. It's something many of us have heard, but these, these passages today invite us to, to turn ourselves upside down if we have to, to be able to see these verses in a fresh way, in a new way. Invite us to turn on our spiritual heads Turn upside down, if you will. And if you want to follow along with where we're heading in this message, you can turn on the back page of your bulletin. And there's, in fact, a a main idea listed there that because Jesus turns everything upside down, we're going to see some of that in these verses. We need to stand on our heads if we want to rightly understand how to worship him, spiritually speaking, of course. It's easy to get... uh, disoriented in some of the wrong ways, I guess you would say, this Christmas season. Might be getting disoriented going to our favorite store and all of a sudden there's a lot of traffic and we've got to find a detour to get around it. That's a little disorienting. Some perhaps are looking through the cabinet to find that favorite recipe for that favorite Christmas treat and you can't locate it this year and you're disoriented. You've got to try to figure out how to make that one from memory. Might be disoriented just from all the activities, the parties that are going on. Many of us in here are very disoriented with a lot of sugar-induced children running around our houses right now. That's disorienting. Some of us are trying to finish up the business year at work, and there's disorientation there. Well, guess what? There's some more disorientation that the Lord has for us, but this kind is a really good kind. It's really helpful for us. And it's just this idea that if we want to understand Christ coming into the world, if we want to understand Christmas, we need to understand that we've declared our allegiance to a crucified king. We've declared our allegiance to a little infant who reigns over the universe. It's disorienting. It means we've got to turn ourselves on our heads to understand it and experience it fully. Well, Jesus certainly turns things on 
their head. He turns things on their head in his ministry. We think about the things that he did. He even went in and turned some tables over. He turns things upside down in his crucifixion. He turns things upside down in his resurrection. But he especially turns things upside down even before and as he's breathing his very first human breath. He's turning things over. It's multi-layered in this Christmas story. You've got a virgin who conceives. You've got a, a lofty one coming down to this sort of backwater part of the Roman Empire, this off-the-scene area. You've got a helpless baby that's born as the Son of God, and you've got a family, a kingly family, if you will, coming, and their child is not even going to be born in a palace, let alone not even going to be born in a home, not even going to be born in a hotel, but only going to be able to be born outside in the side where the animals are kept. It's an upside-down story. It's an upside-down account and reality for us. But I'll tell you, something in these verses today stood out to me even more. It may just be this year I focused in on it, but I think the Lord has something for us in it. And that is this idea of the manger, the manger that's pictured here. It's really interesting to me that Luke spends so many times Mentioning this manger to us. Look with me at these verses in Luke chapter 2. It says in uh, verse 6 is the first place. Uh, verse 6 and 7. That she gave birth. Wrapped him in claws. And lied him, laid him in a manger. Jump on down with me to verse 12. Again and speaking to the shepherds. You find this child. This baby lying in a manger. And then if you jump again. Once on down to. What is that next verse? Verse 16, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Okay, I want you to just, for a minute, try to forget that you have ever heard this story about Christmas before. Try to forget it. And imagine the first time hearing news about this king of the universe coming into the world. Now, again, it's upside down that he comes as a baby. It's upside all those other things that I mentioned. They're upside down. But it is fascinating to me that Luke gives so much attention in this announcement about glorious and wonderful things to describe a feeding trough that the child is laying in, describing the accommodations first and foremost of the child after he's born. I mean, what... What does it matter, really? What is the difference? And yet, a point is made to tell us that he's lying in this feeding trough, uh, if you will. A glorified, for us, I guess, a very large dog bowl. It's a place where you would put food for animals. This is where the Son of God, the King of the universe, is, is lying. It's an upside-down reality. And I think, of course, as you read these verses, there is some element to the reason Luke mentions it is because these shepherds are going to Bethlehem. You have a lot of people coming to this town. They're there to get registered and so forth, do the census thing. And certainly there would probably be more than one infant in that town. There'd be other children. So we're trying to give them some very specific directions. Yeah, look for the baby that's lying in a feeding trough, and you'll know that's the one we're talking about. So there's that element to it. But I think there's a lot more here as well. This manger 
in a sense, we have the cross, I guess, is our main Christian symbol. We have other symbols in our society. Some of them stand for pretty bad things. You think of something like the swastika as a sort of evil symbol we think of. For some of us that grew up a little bit more back towards the Cold War, the hammer and the sickle, that's a symbol, symbolizes certain things for us. We got good symbols as well. The, the, the Red Cross, you think of, you see that, you think I can get some help there. For the Peters family, when we're driving around, patients may not even know this, but I try to keep track of those little blue square signs with the H on it, the hospital signs, in case we've got to find our way with the four boys. Might have to get there. You keep an eye on those. It's a symbol. It symbolizes something. And I I think, in a sense, that's what this manger idea is. It's telling the shepherds where to find him. It's telling us about where he's laying. But it, it symbolizes so much because it symbolizes in one encapsulated example You've got the Lord of the universe lying in this very humble, very simple place. That's where his bed is. I mean, think about it. Those of us who have uh, had the opportunity of welcoming a new child into our home, um, many of us here just sort of middle class folks, but we probably set aside uh, maybe, especially with the first child, a whole entire room in our house. For the child, and you painted it a certain color, and you got a, a a table that you didn't even know you really needed, and a chair that has to sit next to it for this, and you got a certain color lamp to match it, and hung things on the wall, and you got sheets, and you got little things that come down. I still don't know what their purpose is around the edge of the crib, the little thing to cover the bottom. I don't know what's wrong with what's on the bottom of the crib, but we've got to cover. You got all these things put together for not for royalty, just. For one of our children, and they're special, and they're a blessing. But this, this is the Son of God come into the world. And he's going in a feeding trough. It's an upside-down reality, this kingdom of God. It's not just in the manger, though, and in the whole Christmas scene. I mean, think about it. Walk with me a little bit through all the ways that the gospel turns things upside down. Jesus says that if you want to try to save your life for your purposes and what you want it to be about, instead of giving it to him, you'll actually be losing it. If you want to try to save your life for yourself, you'll actually be losing it. It tells us if you lose your life, if you give it up for the things of Christ and his kingdom, you will in fact be saving it. Have a relationship with God in this life. Have a relationship with him in eternity. John the Baptist, we mentioned last week, Got a big following. Got a lot of people tracking with him. What does he do at the sort of peak and pinnacle of his ministry? Jesus shows up. And he says, I've got to decrease. Jesus has to increase. It's upside down. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 reminds us the gospel is foolishness to the world. But it's the wisdom of God. It's God's truth. It's God's wisdom to us who are being saved. 2 Corinthians Uh, 8, 9, we looked at a few weeks ago, reminds us that Jesus, who was rich, became poor so that we who are spiritually poor might be able to come become rich in him. It's upside down. It's a topsy-turvy reality. Are we uh, getting a little blood flowing into our head yet? Getting a little rotated this way? I I hope we're starting to. I'll give you just a little bit more and then we'll move into these specific points. Not even just some of the things we see in the New Testament. Think about the whole trajectory of what God has done in saving his people. And and track with me here a little bit. I'm just going to give a couple of examples. 
this is not anything new. It shouldn't surprise us in a sense that Jesus comes in this upside-down way because it's always been the way that God works in his plan of redemption. He comes to Abraham and Sarah, this old, old, well-past child-bearing years, barren couple, and says, look up into the sky, see all the stars. This is how many will be your descendants. And we stand here today spiritually as their descendants. He comes and does a work through Moses, this little baby that comes into the world. And can you imagine, again, thinking about a biblical story that we're aware of, imagine taking this little one, setting him in a little basket, and floating him down a huge river. Now, I get worried when my kids get near the swimming pool, even the older ones. Imagine taking this little child, and yet God's going to work through that. Imagine Naaman. You all may remember the story of Naaman. It's a little less familiar one. Naaman is this foreign king, and he's got some health issues. He wants to have them taken care of. So he comes, and he asks what he needs to do. And they say he gets a very simple answer. It's too simple for him, it seems, to go and to get into this pool of water. He says, we've got really nice water pools back where I come from, you know, much nicer than this. They said, no, get in this one. I know it looks like a little muddy puddle to you. But get in there. Trust that the Lord's going to work through this upside-down pool of water. It doesn't look like much, but it's going to transform you. One more. Ruth. Ruth, who you remember, marries in. She's a Moabite, and she marries into the the people of of God. And then the husbands of, let's see, her and I think it was her mother, both die, so they're stuck, and they've got to find their way back to the people of Israel, and all that she can do, can hope to do, is get to the edges of the field. She doesn't have any family. She's not even really, you know, by the people of God, and she's got to get to the edges of the field so she can hope to get a little bit of grain that somebody might leave in the field that hasn't been harvested, and maybe hope against hope that someone would take her in, someone would marry her, Boaz does, and she ends up being the great-grandmother of King David, the greatest earthly ruler of the nation of Israel. The the Lord loves to work in upside-down ways for us. A couple of things this means for us, and then we'll conclude. Number one, it means that power is turned upside-down. Power is turned upside down in our world. Look with me at verses, really verses 1 through 7. We'll just look first at verses 1 through 2. It tells us that Caesar Augustus ordered this census, that things, folks would be registered. And it tells us a specific time that it took place. It tells us that Joseph went up and, and did this thing. We've read this story. We've seen this story before. Well, what's happening here? A Roman emperor thinks that he's getting a count of all his people so he can accurately manage them and tax them and so forth. That's what he thinks he's doing. Joseph, a father, thinks that he's using his just you know fatherly power, his good family authority, to lead his family and do what he's supposed to do, go register for the census. These are the earthly levels of power. While all this is going on, what's actually happening in the grand eternal scheme of things is that God is making sure that the child who would save the world and redeem us from our sins would come to Bethlehem, which is the place that he's supposed to be born in, 
so that he could fulfill all the promises that are made about him being born there, about following in the lineage of David. You see how that's upside down? They, they think these other people think they're doing something, exerting their power. In fact, God is the one that's bringing about what he wants to have happen. That's his power exerted. It's interesting, this idea of power and God taking on this human form. I, in my undergraduate years, I, um, I decided, I'm not even sure why I did this. I was thinking about it as I was getting ready for sharing this morning. But I decided to take a graduate level as like an undergraduate. I was probably a sophomore. Take a graduate level philosophy class as my first class to take in philosophy. So I don't know what, I'm, I'm often confused. I was particularly confused in this class. But I sat there, and I was actually, uh, on, on numerous classes, the professor would kind of mock the Christian faith and mock those who believed in God, really, in any sense. But we sat there, and I was sitting on the opposite end of the table from where the professor was. And I remember one particular class, he stood there, sat there across from me, held out his arms, and mocked Jesus dying on the cross. Just mocked the whole idea. And I remember being filled, one, with anger and also with sadness at hearing him do this. But I remember asking, just asking him one simple question. And I didn't know a lot about philosophy, and so but I just asked him, I said, Professor, is it not true that if the God of the universe wanted to, that he could take, and, and even though he's all-powerful, whatever being you want to call that, if he wanted to limit himself, take on a smaller, more limited form in order to carry out some purpose, some loving and gracious purpose. Couldn't he do that if he wanted to? Professor had no answer to that. Jesus turns power on its head by coming into the world. It means a lot for our our power in our nation, how we view the government, those ruling over us, and knowing that God is over them, He's the King of Kings. It means a lot for us in every sphere where we have some kind of authority or influence. As parents in the workplace, some of us have influence. It was interesting, I heard a few years ago, I may have shared before, uh, uh, Pastor Tim Keller in New York sharing about a woman who came to his church. And she came and she said she'd never been to church before or at least had not gone in years. And Keller was interested. He said, well, what brought you here? Why did you come to this church? And she said, well, an interesting thing happened to me. In fact, she said something I've never seen happen before in all my years in the business world. She said, I was assigned by my boss, a a man who was a, a Christian, to do a specific task. And I completely failed in the task. I dropped the ball. I let everything fall apart. And there were going to be a lot of repercussions for this. She said, this boss did something that I have never seen before. She said, I've seen bosses throw people under the bus for things they didn't do. I've certainly never seen a boss, though, take a fall for somebody. She said, this man took the fall for me. He took all the consequences of this decision and never told anybody that it was really me that did, that did this thing. She said, that was transforming for me. She said, I wanted to know what made him do this, what made him act this way. She said, I came to know about the gospel and came to this church to hear more about it. Gospel turns power on its head. Jesus turns power on its head. He also turns people 
on their heads. Look with me again at these verses. You'll see, of course, you know, we kind of forget that Mary and Joseph, their whole world is turned on his head. We forget that they're regular, you know, they were regular people. They had probably had some things they wanted to do with their life, some goals, some business they were going to develop. You know, this turns their life on their head. But more than that, of course, the people we see turned on their head here are these shepherds. Again, I'll remind you, these folks, uh, shepherds are kind of a little bit looked down upon because of their uh, profession. It wasn't the cleanest sort of profession. It was definitely a blue-collar job. It would, it would get on that TV show, The Dirtiest Jobs. It would probably make it onto that, that show. It was a, a rough activity that they were involved in. They were restocking the shelves. They were working in the coal mines. They were uh, the, the car repairman. They were folks just doing their typical job. So very, very unlikely people to be given this message, to be given this message of Christ coming into the world and Christ bringing transformation to these humble people. And yet look how their lives were changed. Of course, they're used to confirm the message of the gospel in verse 17. And then look with me in verse 20. It says, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Their lives turned upside down by who Christ is. And we're invited to be turned upside down as well. I always think it's interesting, too, you hear this story. And imagine having these angels and angelic beings appear. And this next phrase here, I I don't know if I'm reading it the right way, but when verse 15 it says, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing has happened. That's always interesting to me after you've got a multitude of angels appearing in the sky and it's kind of like they turn to each other, you know, maybe after you see a commercial for like a cheeseburger and you're kind of having a dinner in a while and you say, man, I'm kind of hungry for a cheeseburger. Let's go get a burger. It's kind of almost like they're saying that they say, Hey, how about we go over to Bethlehem? I think we ought to go check it out. Let's go do something about this. They're ready to go see what has happened. All of this uh, speaks to us of the reality that our, our lives are turned upside down in a good way by the gospel. What's that mean for us this Christmas season in particular? Well, it means for one that we can experience God's grace. We can have our lives turned upside down because Christ has come into the world. But it also means we can take one of these uh, cards. What did I do with mine? Because we know that God loves to go work in people's lives, sometimes the least expected people we would think and turn their lives around and use them for His purposes, I, I, would, I would challenge us. I'm not, I don't usually issue a challenge, but I'm issuing a challenge, throwing down the gauntlet here. Take one of these cards, at least one of them, to the least likely person that you think would respond and have an interest in the gospel, have an interest in coming to worship with us on Christmas Eve. I I would challenge us to do that. Pray as you do it, but pray and look and see if God doesn't turn somebody's life on its head. He's done that with all of us who have come to embrace Christ. We should look for him to do it with others as well. Last thing is, he turns praise upside down as well he turns praise upside down as well we see here there's a great deal of excitement and praise going on in these verses so you know it's it's right for us at christmas time to sing certain songs and be enthusiastic about the lord glory to god in the highest on peace on on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased i bring you 
good news, a great joy that will be for all people. It's interesting, again, this upside-down reality. We think maybe meeting in a school facility like this is a little bit shabby for the Christmas season. Maybe we ought to have a little bit nicer place, a few less murals on the wall. Imagine this very first Christmas celebration. It's not happening in some grand cathedral, even over at the temple there in Israel. It's happening in a little stable where you keep animals. Again, it's upside down. God turns praise upside down. And I want you to see one more thing, and then we'll conclude. And that is that when God does this, when he turns praise upside down, he does something really interesting. He's always bringing together reverence and celebration, which are two things that are really hard for us to keep together. We know we've been to maybe some worship services where it kind of tends more to the reverence side, and we've been to one where it's maybe a little bit more on the celebratory side, and we've met people in their personal walk with the Lord that are a little bit more on the reverent side and a little bit more on the celebratory side. But the gospel is always bringing those things together, and these verses talk about that as these angels appear and they say, fear not. There's something awesome. There's something overwhelming about God and his presence that if we understand it, begin to grasp it, will cause us a good, healthy fear and awe of the Lord. And at the same time, as I just read, we see verses, passages of celebration, of joy, of exaltation at every turn in the scriptures as well. And so we're called, as we're turned upside down by the Lord, to to seek to hold those things together. And as it says here, Mary treasured all of these things in her heart. All of these things sunk down in her heart as well. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do ask now as we have considered your word that you would take our hearts, allow us to not just think about these things or or know these things on kind of a cognitive level, but, Lord, especially this week, you'd help us to treasure the things of Christ. Or we'd even be able to begin to treasure the tipping of our lives upside down. We would begin to see the world in a flipped over and reversed way, recognizing that, Lord, that's the way you work. That's the way you work in this world and in our lives. God, would you do that work for us this week, that we might know you more fully, that we might walk with you more deeply, that we might share you with others around us more fully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.